This episode is brought to you by The Woven Ring, Soul's Harvest Book 1, by author M.D. Presley. In exile since Civil War tore the nation of Newfield apart, former spy and turncoat Marta Childress wants nothing more than to live out her days quietly in the West. After her brother arrives, Marta is manipulated into one final mission, transport the daughter of a hated inventor deep into the East. Now forced to decide between delivering the girl safely and assassinating the inventor, Marta is torn between ensuring the peace and sparking another civil war. The Woven Ring by M.D. Presley A fantasy reimagining of the American Civil War, pitting muskets against magic, war machines against mind readers, and glass sabers against soldiers in psychic exoskeletons. Read the novel fantasy book critic gives five stars and calls a glorious debut, combining the edgy characters of Mark Lawrence and the world-building skill of Brandon Sanderson. A Spiffbo 2017 semi-finalist. Pick up your copy on Amazon on Kindle ebook or paperback today. The Woven Ring by M.D. Presley This episode is brought to you by Paternus by Dirk Ashton. The gods and monsters of old really did exist, and some still do. Now all across the globe, they're coming out of hiding and hunting their own. Fiona Peterson and Zeke Prisco are suddenly swept into these cataclysmic events when a group of strange men arrive searching for a catatonic old man named Peter. And their attempt to save him, Fee and Zeke embark on an adventure of myth and magic beyond imagination, space, and time. The final battle of the most ancient war has begun. Paternus by Dirk Ashton. Thrilling, cinematic, funny, and frightening in turns. Past guest Anthony Ryan gives Paternus five stars, calling it an imaginative, exhilarating ride with a refreshing take on contemporary fantasy and highly recommended. A Spiffbo top three finalist and the Reddit fantasy finalist for best debut novel of 2016, Paternus combines myths from around the world in a modern story of action and intrigue. Listen on Audible or read for free on Kindle Unlimited. Find out more and get your copy on paperback or ebook at paternusbooks.com. That's P A T E R N U S books.com. Paternus. Even myths have legends. And not all legends are myth. This episode is brought to you by The Heart of Stone by author Ben Galley. Merciless, murderer, monster. He's been called many names in his time. Built for war and nothing else. He's witnessed every shade of violence humans know, and he's wrought his own masterpiece with their colors. He cared once, but far too long ago. He is bound to his task, dead to the chaos he wreaks for his masters. Now he has a new master to serve, and a new war to endure. In the far reaches of the realm, Heartland tears itself into two over coin and crown. This time he fights for a boy king and a general bent on victory. Beneath it all, he longs for change, for an end to this cycle of warfare. The Heart of Stone by Ben Galley, available now in ebook or paperback at bengalley.com. That's bengalley.com. Every fighter has a last fight, even a fighter made of stone. This is author Raymond V. Feist. Hi, this is R. Scott Baker. This is Anthony Ryan. The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Delilah S. Dawson to the show. Delilah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is literary agent Mark Gottlieb from Trident Media Group. This is David Anthony Durham. Hi, this is Melanie Metters. Hi, this is Brian Stavely. Hello, this is Jesse Bullington slash Alex Marshall. Hi, this is Jeff Salyards. Hi, this is Michael R. Fletcher. The Grim Tidings Podcast proudly welcomes Steven Erickson to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to 
Hi, this is Anna Stevens, author of Godblind, which is book one of the Godblind trilogy, and you're listening to the Grim Tidings podcast. It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. The past year has been remarkable for grimdark fantasy debuts, and today's episode will continue that trend in brutal style. Anna Stevens is the author of the grimdark fantasy debut Godblind, and since its release from Harper Voyager UK this past June, Anna's name has been often associated with other grimdark greats, including Scott Lynch, Mark Lawrence, and Joe Abercrombie, to name a few. Past guest Michael R. Fletcher says Godblind is a brilliantly brutal debut from an exciting new voice in dark fantasy, highly recommended. Author Edward Cox calls Godblind intriguing fast-paced and grimly fiendish sweeps you up and doesn't let you go. With a background in literature and martial arts, including a black belt in Shotokan karate, in her free time you can find her working out in the gym, reading, listening to rock music, or a combination of the three. She's a seasoned weightlifter, a certified Hoovian, member of her local writers group, and no stranger to getting punched in the face. Skyping in today from just outside Birmingham, England, the Grim Tidings podcast proudly welcomes Anna Stevens to the show. Anna, thanks for hanging out today. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. Great to have you. The British invasion continues here on the Grim Tidings podcast. <laughs> we got to chat with Anna Smith-Spark. We've got uh, Anna Stevens on the show today, Ed McDonald, RJ Barker as well. So plenty of Brits to join us here on the show. No doubt the UK is making its name known in producing some of the finest grimdark fiction out there. So Anna Stevens, what is it with you Brits and your insatiable lust for literary blood? <laughs> um... I'm going to put it down to the fact that we have been invaded so many times in our history. It's it's just what we do, you know. We get invaded, we get a, an entirely new culture imposed on us, um, and, you know, shit happens and blood flows as a result. I think it's just something that we have, um, we've kind of grown up with. I, I don't know, I mean, there's, there's you know, we, we kind of gave the world Tolkien, um, which is incredible and wonderful and beautiful um maybe now we're just trying to show the the dark underbelly of fantasy is it tolkien that really kind of just inspired like a whole generation of writers out there is it just his kind of influence and legacy that's kind of propelled all of these literary writers forward i don't know i mean i i mean i've chatted with um you know, a, a couple of the other Brits, particularly R.J. Barker, and I, I know that he, him and Anna Smith-Spark um, and myself to a, probably a slightly lesser extent are, are obsessed with um, mythology and folklore and Arthurian legend and stuff like that. I think, you know, there's there's quite a rich vein of of fantastical history in our history. That sounds terrible. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I mean there's there's you know there's gods and magic and ladies in lakes and all you know all this kind of stuff and I think it is part of our culture whether it's conscious or subconscious I think we are I think we draw on things like that and you actually chomped your teeth on Anne McCaffrey versus Tolkien yes yeah I think um, Anne McCaffrey was my gateway fantasy novel um, Dragonflight um, I my dad had all of the copies all of the originals. So I, I worked my way through those when I was, oh, about 10 or 11, something like that. Um, 
And I then went to Tolkien from Anne McCaffrey, which I think personally was probably the, the right way round because Tolkien is, is so much more complex. But yeah, definitely Anne McCaffrey, Dragonfly. I, um, I just, I wanted a dragon so badly when I was a kid. <laughs> and I saw that you're still looking to uh, add some pets to your repertoire now that you're a full-time <laughs> writer. Um, so is a dragon in consideration, maybe a chinchilla, something like that? Or uh, Well, yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, I've, I've got a golden dragon that sits on my desk. Um, it's made of plastic. It's not, it's not real. Um, oh. But I would, I w- exactly. I would <laughs> like to have a, a living, breathing something. Um, I have a husband, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would like a dog. Yeah, I'd like to get a dog. Do you think dragons can fly as fast as they do on Game of Thrones? If they were real. Oh, is this the whole episode six debate? <laughs> you know what? You know, I have curious. actually, I figured it out. I figured it out because part of my research for Godblind, did you know that a carrier pigeon can fly 600 miles in a day? Oh, wow. That Damn. is true. 60 miles an hour for 10 hours before they need to rest. So I've got it all figured out. You know, they only walked a couple of hours past the wall before they got ambushed. So Gendry is only going to take him an hour or so to leg it back. You've got the raven. I'm going to assume the raven can fly as fast as a carrier pigeon. Therefore, it's pro- what is it? 600 miles to Dragonstone, 10 hours. And then the dragon with a wingspan like that. You're only looking at a couple of hours, I reckon, to come back. It's totally doable. There you Have go. I spent too much time thinking no. this story? No, no that's wonderful. <laughs> now, now, now when people complain about that, we can say, fuck you, go listen to our interview. We yeah, explain absolutely. it mathematically. Absolutely. Anastasia knows the shit. Science. <laughs> Science on you. So Godblind is your debut novel. Um, if you could, please tell us uh, what grim goodness awaits readers when they crack open Godblind and what your plans for the series are. Okay, so if I just give it you in bullet point format, Godblind is madness, betrayal, war, two bloodthirsty gods in opposition to two peace-loving gods, and one very bad lady with a hammer. If you'd like some more information, uh, it's the story of two countries at war with each other. So there's the country of Rilpur, who worship the gods of light, known as the Dancer and the Fox God. And the Miraces, who worship the Red Gods, who are the Dark Lady and Gosfath God of Blood. And uh, the Red Gods have been exiled for a thousand years, and they have now finally found a way to return to Rilpur. Uh, The way that they need to do that is basically the veil that has been thrown up between the two countries, the sort of magical divine veil. Um, The only way that that can be torn down is if it is washed away in lakes of blood. (laughs) So... Basically, the Miracies have to invade Rilpur, and it's the story of uh, combatants on both sides. So you've got King Corvus of the Miracies, um, and then you've got um, the general and the soldiers in Rilpur. Um, there's a lot of political machinations going on. There's there's a shit ton of betrayal. People who you spend the first third of the book thinking that they're they're good guys and they turn out to to really not be good guys. And yeah, so it's the story of the people who are caught up in the war um, and an exploration of just how far people will go in war and how you can justify pretty much anything if you believe you're right. And then you're, you have a planned trilogy for this series. 
Yeah, so uh, book two is drafted and is with my <clears throat> my UK editors at the moment. Uh, book two is provisionally or probably titled Dark Soul. Um, that's due for release at the end of May 2018. And then book three, May 2019. So, uh, yeah, uh, if... People who have read God Blind will know that things were left at a pretty bleak juncture. Um, what I can definitely say for Dark Soul and book three is that things get a whole lot worse before they get better. So there are unlikely alliances. There's revelations about the gods, sibling rivalry. There is a huge siege in Dark Soul. Um as it stands in the draft at the moment, that siege probably takes up two-thirds of the book. Um, so there's an awful lot going on. The Fall of Kings and, uh, yeah, more betrayal. Even more betrayal, if that is possible. <laughs> and, bl and blood. Lots of blood. And blood. Blood. Blood everywhere. Yes. So since, since Goblin deals with gods directly interacting with their followers, that that kind of has a connection with some real mythology. Uh, what kind of mythology did you feel that you drew from the most when you were creating this universe? Um, I've, I mean, I've always been fascinated by sort of ancient Britain. Um, so, you know, the, the stories of Boudicca and the, you know, her rebellion against the Romans in the first century. Um, you know, the fact that, the fact that they did it, that she that she was so close to victory and then, you know, was ultimately defeated. But just just the fact that they went to war against the might of the Roman Empire, um, I've always found that just fascinating. And then of course there's there's the religion that they all believed. So there's there's, you know, ancient paganism and druidism and things like that. So I did quite a lot of research into those, into paganism and Wicca and Celtic shamanism and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of elements in Godblind that are taken from it. So I talk about, you know, things like Yule and Beltane, which are pagan uh, festivals. But ultimately, you know, I, I wanted to make it make it my own religion, so not not a, a direct rip off of mm. something that existed. But somebody asked me recently, they said, you know, why, why would anybody worship the red gods? I mean, they are <laughs> so bad. They are so fucking evil. Why would anybody do it? I couldn't quite answer them for a while, but I've been thinking about it. And I think what it comes down to, I mean, if, if you look at some of the stuff that is going on in the world today, people are justifying genocide in the name of a loving and peaceful God. I was really intrigued by how, you know, how can you justify killing when your God specifically says it is a sin to kill someone? So I think what I was trying to do was I was trying to turn that around and say, well, if people can be evil in the name of a loving God, how evil could they be in the name of an evil God? And it turns out they're basically just the same. It, it's, you know, they are as good or as bad as people who worship so-called peaceful gods, if that makes sense. What kind of benefits do people get from worshiping a god of blood? Do they get better uh, blood pressure or something? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are, it's what are, all what about the health benefits. <laughs> all about the health benefits, definitely. Vitamin drinks and, you know, an hour's jogging every morning. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it's, 
it's the same with you know a, a lot of a lot of religions it's the same with a lot of you know people who are seeking power um because the gods play such an active role in the world if you pledge your soul to them um and you say you can have my soul for all eternity but i want to be king and they'll go yeah okay then that's fine because for them that's only an 80 year deal that they're making they don't care and that's if you live to be 80 you know as the king you're going to have a lot of people wanting to kill you so it's an easy bet for the gods to make and they get a soul for all eternity in you know in response so it's it's the same as you know what what anybody prays for at the end of the day you know make me rich make me powerful don't let this sword go into my stomach i'll pray for that every day Um, also, uh, since there's, uh, there's gods and some kind of pantheon, uh, is our elements of the afterlife tied into the, into the universe at all, as far as, uh, what happens to people when they die, if they make these deals, they, they get a jacuzzi full of blood, uh, blood uh, or something. <laughs> it's exfoliating. Um, ah, nice. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so the worshippers of the red gods, uh, they have an afterworld that they go to where they are basically promised an eternity of whatever, you know, whatever they like. If, you know, like with um, the Vikings, they go to Valhalla and they get to fight and feast all day. Well, it's the same sort of thing in the afterworld. You basically just get to go and you know, murder, rape and pillage for all eternity. And if you end up getting killed in the afterworld, you just come back a few seconds later and you get to do it all again. So it's all it's all just basically all bets are off once you're in the afterworld. You can do anything you like. So that, again, that would appeal to people who, you know, maybe they don't have a lot in this world, but if they're promised an eternity where, you know, the, the, the guy who robbed you, is also going to be in the afterworld where you can just spend an eternity hunting him down and making him pay for it. In the gods of light, which is a slightly different, um, it's it's basically you just you you go into the light where the dancer and the fox god are, and you just have a sort of a peaceful a peaceful afterlife. It's you know it's it's more of a traditional paradise slash heaven type of a place. It seems like delving into the dark side of religion is definitely an evolving kind of grim dark almost trope, I would say. And if, in addition to violence and murder, Godblind has plenty of of that uh, as well. Uh, I think the uh, <laughs> you, just the first chapter opens up with a tasty uh, human sacrifice. Um, yep. So and the goodness just goes from there. What other <laughs> sort of sort of grim dark staples would you say are included in Godblind? Definitely uh, the moral ambiguity of the characters. I mean, Godblind, when I wrote the very first version of Godblind more than 10 years ago, it was um, a high fantasy ripoff, believe it or not. Um, It was full of noble princesses and muscular heroes and all of that just really embarrassing stuff. Um, And I quickly realized that it was rubbish um, and... Every time I redrafted it, the characters got slightly grayer, if that makes sense, morally gray. Um, so they started losing this all good or all evil persona. And um, they, they started taking on this ambiguity. And as soon as they did that, they became more believable. They became much more alive to me. And they started jumping off the page and doing their own shit. And they were quite hard to control at times. 
which I always think is the sign of a good character, is when they tell the author to fuck off. <laughs> so there's definitely, definitely moral ambiguity is um, is probably the, the biggest thing. Um, everything looks very bleak and dark, but I think where I slide away from Grimdark slightly is that there is, as far as I'm concerned anyway, there is definitely a sense of hope. There is a glimmer of redemption. Um, and I think those are, for me anyway, and for, for, for the books that I'm trying to write, those are, those are as important as some of the grimdark elements. And you mentioned um, the first version of the manuscript uh, was 10 years in the making. So you've been working yes. on Godblind for some time, repeatedly um, submitting it to publishers and then uh, getting rejection and then working on yep. the manuscript. So it's been a constantly evolving process for a long time. You must really have believed in, in Godblind to have persevered for so long. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, or alternatively, I just didn't have another idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is it. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> um, but no, I, I genuinely, I, you know, I always did. Uh, Rillerin was the first character who appeared to me. And then she was swiftly followed by Dom and Lim. And then the story sort of grew from those three. But yeah, I did. I genuinely, I always believed in the story that they wanted to tell and the story that I was trying to tell through them. And, you know, I mean, I've talked about this before at, at conventions and stuff like that. And people and other authors have said, I really would have given up after four or five years and I would have written something else. So I don't know. I, I don't know what convinced me to keep going. Maybe I'm just incredibly stubborn and really pig headed. But for me, I, I suppose, you know, you have to be quite thick skinned as an author um, to deal with those rejections, but you also have to be very confident in what you're in what you're writing. You know, some people will say, "Oh, it's, it's really arrogant," but it's not. It's not arrogance. It's just belief that you're good at what you do. And I always believed that those characters had a story that was worth telling, and that was why every round of rejections, I, you know, I sulked a little bit and got really drunk and swore I was never going to write another word again but then within a couple of months I'd reread the manuscript and I go you know what it's shit they were completely correct in rejecting it and then I would just start rewriting it and it was never really a conscious decision it was just okay it's time to rewrite it again and that's how 12 years passes really blink of an eye <laughs> overnight <laughs> overnight it's a moral of the story perseverance perseverance Stubbornness, idiocy, <laughs> blind stupidity, blind stupidity. <laughs> as far as the characters, you were you're talking about the characters. One one thing about Grimdark is that we've noticed uh, it has an absence of plot armor, uh, meaning that major characters can die in any moment and they're not protected by the plot. You did an interview with Mike Everest a while back that you said you had to deal with uh, character death. How did yeah. how did you deal with this to make it meaningful to the story and not just uh, like a shock moment or whatever the case may be? I think Dark Soul Book 2 does have a couple of major character deaths in it. And there's that saying, isn't there? If there's, what is it? If no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. Um, so ba basically, you know, if if I'm not emotionally invested in this character and this character's death, then a reader won't be. So I did write this huge, amazing, heroic death 
for one of the characters in book two. Um, and then I sobbed my heart out. I genuinely cried after I killed this person. I'm trying not to give any gender <laughs> spoilers. Um, and I, I was I was absolutely devastated, but it was it was essential for the plot. And then I went on Facebook and I popped into the, uh, I think it was a Grimdark writers page and I was chatting to some people and I was like, well, you know, okay, so I've just killed off one of my favorite characters. This person's had this wonderful heroic death. And a lot of people went, yeah, heroic death. Does it have to be a heroic death? Wouldn't it be better if it was just a silly, pointless little death? Wouldn't that be even more affecting for the reader? And I thought about it and I, and I, was like but i really want this person to have a heroic death they deserve a heroic death um and then i rewrote it as a pointless stupid accidental death and i thought fuck it works so much better (laughs) and i was gutted i was so upset because because i wanted this person to die so amazingly you know with like crescendoing music and close-ups and you know all that cinematic goodness and it just works so much better the other way around. Um, Did they slip on a banana peel? Or- <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Whoops. Tripped in the latrine pit and drowned. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> exactly. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> More characters um, need to die like that. <laughs> slip yeah. on a banana peel. Uh, let's talk about your uh, path to publication. So you had the working manuscript for, oh, 10, 11, 12 years. But finally, finally, an agent saw the light, saw the true <laughs> brilliance that Godblind was. And uh, what agent did you finally get uh, a hold of? Uh, so I managed to snag the lovely Harry Illingworth from DHH Literary Agency in London. And I did it because Christmas 2015, Dean, he put a tweet out on Twitter, obviously, um, saying what he would really like in his Christmas stocking submission pile was the next Joe Abercrombie. So I quite cheekily tweeted him back and said, not quite Joe Abercrombie, but not completely out of that ballpark. And he went, yeah, fine, send it through. So I emailed covering letter, synopsis, first three chapters. And I was actually emailing out of my ancient Hotmail account. So I'd set up a separate Gmail account after I got married. <laughs> so I then had, I was then running two email accounts. Um, so Harry read it, emailed me straight back to my ancient account saying, please send me the rest of the manuscript. And I didn't see it for a week. So then I just happened to pop onto Hotmail and there was this email that was a week old saying, please send me the rest of the manuscript. And I thought, oh, shit, there goes my chance. I couldn't even be bothered to get back to him, you know, within the, the nanosecond that it would have taken if I'd have seen it. But fortunately, he, he forgave my delay. Um, he read the manuscript and I'd had a couple, I'd had a couple of other agencies had said, send me the full manuscript and, and nothing could come of it. But it was, I don't know, it was just really, really strange for some reason. Um, after I'd sent him the full manuscript, I put I put their phone number in my cell phone. And I don't know why I did it, but I had this vague idea that if I got a phone number with a London dialing code, I wouldn't answer it. But if I got a phone call from DHH Literary Agency, I was absolutely going to pick that call up. And then within a few days of him having the full manuscript, he phoned. They said he loved Godblind and he wanted to represent me. 
it was almost like part of me knew it was going to happen from from seeing that original tweet until the time he phoned me. It was part of me knew this is it. And I don't know why. I have no idea how I knew or whether I was just being massively overconfident. Um, but who cares? Because it did work. <laughs> mm. Grim tuition, possibly. I just Grim tuition. Oh, I, like so I like it. I like it. Trademark it quick. Moral of the story, check your fucking email. Yes. Yes. Yeah, definitely. On an hourly basis with (laughs) manuscripts. Yeah, so so I went down to London, met him. We hit it off really well straight away, um, which is massively important for agent and author relationship. You have to get on. You have to like each other. Um, Signed signed the agency agreement then and there. uh, And then... We did a little bit more work on Godblind. He'd got a couple of ideas for how he wanted to um, just work on some different bits and pieces in the in the plot. So while I was doing that, I then got another phone call from him, something ridiculous like two weeks later, saying that Natasha Barden at Harper Voyager had got her hands on the first three chapters and nobody knew how, because I certainly <laughs> hadn't sent them to her. Um, and that... She wanted to see the full manuscript. And I was like, well, it's all in red line. It's all, you know, I'm in the middle of changing it. And he said, don't worry. This is Harper Voyager. Do what they say. So I sent it off. And then a few days after that, maybe a week after that, he phoned me back up and said that they wanted to put in a preempt offer. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, that means that they want to buy it before it even goes out on submission. And I said, what do you recommend? And he said, are you fucking stupid? We are going <laughs> He, he was like, again, this is Harper Voyager. What is wrong with you, Anna? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then that was it. They started haggling. I do remember at one point actually saying, don't keep pushing her for more money because she might just turn around and say, no, I'm happy to do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, to land to land someone like Harper Voyager for my debut novel, for my debut trilogy was so much bigger than I was expecting I thought we were just, you know, we, we will go for like a small independent or something like that. And maybe over the course of, I don't know, five or six books, we'd work our way up to a bigger publisher. Um, so to have hit the jackpot from the start is, um, is, is more than a dream come true because I didn't even really dream it. Yeah. Th- does it get any better than Harper Voyager? I can't really think of for a grimdark debut. I mean, <sighs> I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think so. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, No, so you got hooked up with Harper Voyager UK, and they produced this lovely, lovely book cover. This thing is sexy. I'll tell you what, looking at it. Uh, There's no map in there uh, from Talos. Talos didn't give us a a finalized map in the version, but but that's okay. That happens sometimes. But uh, did you like the cover art when you saw it? I was stunned, completely and utterly stunned. Um, I... I had zero input into the cover art um, at all. I had no idea what they were going to produce. I was more sure what I didn't want than what I did want. So, you know, I, I didn't want some some sort of visual depiction of Rillerin staring moodily into the distance in a far too type bodice. And none of that. Absolutely none of that. You know, 
unbelievably muscular men in loincloths. That was not what I was going for. I did not want Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan the Barbarian. And that is exactly what I did not get. So I was always going to be over the moon with it. Um, They actually sent me three options. And so it was between me, Natasha at Harper Voyager and Harry, my agent. Um, We all looked at all three and we all picked the same one, uh, which is the one that they went with. So it was a mutual decision, um, but it was it was so much more spectacular than I could possibly have considered. And I'm really glad that I had no input into it because <laughs> because I mean, obviously, you know, the the artwork is um, is done by um, a guy called Dom Forbes, who's in house at Harper Voyager. And if I'd have had a conversation with him, I probably would have drained his creativity to the point where we ended up with a Conan the Barbarian type cover or something so he read the book and that was his interpretation and I I honestly couldn't be happier and I can see how it can go through to the other two so you can see that there can be some sort of continuity with color or style or something because there's so much going on in the cover that I think they can really work with it to have a series that you know has a a, a continuity of image but I've got no idea what the next one would look like so and then the title is still kind of TBD with Dark Soul, that might be it? Yeah, I think I think we probably are going with that. Um, okay. And then, yeah, folks should definitely check out that cover art. We do include a uh, Amazon link to the book in the show notes, so if you want to pop that up and then click that link, you can take a look at the book. You can buy it as well while you're over there, but uh, you can see that lovely cover. Uh, you did just recently tweet out um, a cover of the French edition of the book and that is also badass it really is yeah i mean despite what everything i've just said about conan the barbarian the french cover does have uh, a warrior on it but it's not a conan warrior i think it's dom personally i think it's the character dom um who is the Callistar, who which means that he has visions that are sent to him by the gods and most of them are quite horrific and i think that the french cover has a lot of sort of red sort of terrifying faces swirling around this this warrior in the center of the image so i i look at that and see that as being dom having one of his visions and those are some of the images that he gets sent by the gods i i absolutely love it i love how they've they've interpreted it so completely differently to the uk slash us um cover there is also the german cover has been revealed as well which is um a very, very simple, it's quite a moody, misty landscape in sort of blues and greys and whites. But then at the bottom, there's um, there's red grass growing. And I just love the fact that everyone has picked up on this red god's imagery and everyone seems to be putting something red on the covers, which I really, really like. So they all sort of tie together slightly, but are also very much products of the countries that they are catering for. So yeah. I'm I'm in love with all of them. <laughs> and no no options for a movie for God Blind yet. Not yet. Not yet. No, not yet. I have Is, faith. <laughs> so putting out the word Hollywood. Time for yeah. you to uh, pony on, guys. up. Let's or, you know, I mean, once Game of Thrones finishes, which is right. yeah. just going to be devastating, you're going to need something. Right. HBO. You're going to need something. The big next thing. You need Why a lot of God Blind. You need a lot of caro syrup for blood. Is that what they use? And Lakes pour, of it. Just pour it, pour it <laughs> on everyone. I would be interested, actually, if they, if we just, you know, hypothetically, if they did turn my trilogy into uh, like an, an HBO performance, 
what my body count would be like in comparison. Because I think it's pretty, you know, I think it's pretty much up there. I have to say, you know, the big first battle in Godblind is 5,000 men versus about five or 6,000 men. And, you know, only one army walks away from that. And it's not a complete army by the end of it. So I reckon, you know, my body count would be pretty epic. Would you prefer CGI or uh, lots of stuntmen and stuntwomen beating the shit out of each other? Definitely the latter. (laughs) Without a doubt. And I would also love to go and be an extra. I would pay them to go and be an extra and die in some hideous way on screen. One of my characters. It would just be amazing. Well, you'd have to pull off a karate move. Kick, kick the shit out of somebody's face before always, you, you die. Always going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do some, do some sword work and then both get disarmed and then it's just hand to hand bludgeoning each other until <laughs> somebody dies. Awesome. What's not to love? And you just recently, as of last month, took the plunge and became a full-time writer. I did. You, uh, you bit the bullet. Um, how was that transition going for you so far? Uh, it's going well. It's go- it's going really well. I'm um, still trying to sort of settle into a routine. Uh, I'm currently waiting for my edits to come back for Dark Soul. So there's it will be very very easy to just treat this like a holiday and and think well I haven't got anything to do. But I know that I do need to get into a routine as soon as possible because otherwise I I don't want to turn into one of these authors who you know drinks half a bottle of wine at two in the afternoon because hey I've written two thousand words. Um, I would rather. I hate wine anyway, but I would rather, um, I, I want to try and produce more work than is needed, if that makes any sense. So what I'm doing at the moment is I'm currently working on the first extremely rough draft of what may be an entirely new book that isn't set in the Godblind universe at all. Um, so I'm doing that to sort of keep my keep my hand in while I'm waiting for Dark Soul Edits to come back, but also just to start exploring different ideas and options with a view to what comes after this trilogy so yeah so at the moment I'm still sort of you know getting up when my husband gets up in the morning he goes out to work and then I'm like right well I'm going to work for a couple of hours and then I'm going to go for a walk because other because that means I have to get dressed and then I'm going to work for another couple of hours and then I'm going to go to the gym and you know it's hasn't quite worked out that way so far (laughs) but the plan is there (laughs) the intention is there um because i just know i know myself well enough to know that if i don't have that sort of plan then in six months time i'm gonna be sitting in my pajamas at four in the afternoon eating cheetos and weighing 300 pounds and i don't want to be that kind of a person (laughs) so i'm trying to i'm trying to be disciplined with it all yeah, you've got deadlines now to keep got, with the... Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so those are good because they keep me honest. Um, so I know that I've got to produce the words and I don't have an excuse not to now. I mean, before when I was, you know, I was working 30 hours a week and writing, it would be a case of, oh, you know, I can't go out tonight because I've absolutely got to, I've got to get the words down, blah, blah, blah. Now I've got a little bit more freedom, um, but a lot less money, obviously, um, so I'm hoping that it still balances out the same that I, you know, I still put all of the effort in and, um, we get a, a quality product at the end of it. Absolutely. And now that you are a, a published 
author. We often talk about authors having to kind of take the brunt of the uh, marketing and promotion end of things. It's definitely more of an author responsibility these days versus the earlier days where the publisher just kind of took the ball and ran with that. Uh, mm. What are you doing in, in your capacity as far as marketing and promotion and getting your name out there to uh, get the word about Godblind out to the people? Um, I'm taking part in the Grim Gathering at Waterstones in Bath in England. Um, so that is me, Mark Lawrence, Peter V. Brett, Peter Newman, and Joe Abercrombie. Oh, God, I've forgotten someone. Damn. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so that is kind of like my... I'm see, I'm viewing that as my seat at the big boys table kind of thing. Um, so I'm shitting myself, but I'm really excited <laughs> at the same time. Um, I'm probably just going to be sat amongst these, you know, fantasy greats, basically giggling um, and touching them every so often, not in a kinky way, um, <laughs> but you know, just like, Oh my God, that's Joe Abercrombie. Can I, can I like, can I shake your hand for the 900th time today? Um, so I'm really, I'm really, really looking forward to that. And then um, I'm going to the Gothenburg Book Fair uh, with Harper Voyager. So that's two days in Sweden, which I'm really, really looking forward to. And then I fly back from Sweden Saturday morning and I go straight to FantasyCon for Saturday afternoon and all day Sunday. So that's going to be a really, really busy week. Um, but I'm hoping I'm doing lots of panels, lots of talks, workshops, stuff like that. So I'm really hoping that that's going to um, sell a few more copies. Um, I'll then be going to Bristol Con in October as well. So I think that's it sort of convention and event wise for the rest of th this year. Um, and then other than that, it's um, I think staying active on social media is really important. I know that some people don't do it. Um, some people do it better than others. Some people are so famous that they don't need to do it. But I've always liked social media. I have no problems in making a fool of myself on social media. And um, to be honest, I think that helps sometimes. You know, if you're open and approachable and friendly and you can laugh at yourself particularly, I think it all helps, you know. Yeah, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, yep. you are on Facebook. And then for that complete lineup of uh, convention appearances, people can check out your website. And that's Anna-Stevens.com. That's correct. Yep. Who, for people who want to... Keep tabs on everything Godblind. <clears throat> yes, yes. If you wish to stalk me, that is the place to do it. I'm <laughs> really going to regret commence. that sentence. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and that uh, Grim Gathering sounds like an impressive, impressive uh, lineup. Uh, just be brilliant and uh, no pressure. No, no pressure at all. At and, all. And try not to touch them too much. <laughs> well, they're all they're all very nice people. We've uh, associated <laughs> with them before and you'll be it's surprised true. surprised how wonderfully warm and happy grim grim people can be <laughs> seriously peter newman is probably the nicest human being i've ever met so him i have met very briefly um but i've, I've never met any of the others well be sure to take pictures and um and let us know how that goes definitely uh, as well and we've got a little game like oh. we do with every episode of the show. Okay. Uh, me and Philip is the, is the resident Grim Tidings podcast game master. Yeah. And we just like to have some fun uh, uh, on the show here, if people haven't noticed. Um, so, Phil, tell us about your little game that you have for Anna Stevens, author of Godblind today, and what we've got going on. <laughs> I hate the way you fucking introduce this every time. <laughs> Philip's got a little game that he wants to, to do. 
Uh, uh, it's a cute little game. Cute little game. Yeah. Uh, well, since we have uh, been talking about gods, uh, we're going to create a fake ass uh, grim pantheon of gods and goddesses. Okay. So I'm going to give you. This is kind of a word association game, so. Uh, whatever the whatever the first thing pops in your mind is fine, but if you want to think about it more deeply, then that's fine as well. Okay. Uh, I'll give I'll give you the name of a character or some kind of uh, uh, some of them are real people, some of them are fictional characters, and then you, you'll tell me what they would be the god or goddess of in this. Okay, this this is where I'm gonna show up my grimdark ignorance because I'm if I don't recognize a character, this could go horribly wrong. We'll have to edit the bits that I don't know. Well, I did. I did some research, and I think you will be familiar with uh, all of these people. There should be okay. no, should be no mystery. Yeah. Okay, so so the first first one on the list you have mentioned several times. Uh, he has rippling muscles, and he is a uh, <laughs> he is a uh, very familiar character for people. Uh, Conan the Barbarian would be the god of what? Drinking. God of drinking. Okay. I, I don't know. I thought that okay. was Phil, but Conan can have that. Well, I'm the god of um, drunken stupor, I think. Okay. Maybe. Makes sense. Okay, number two is a famous uh, character. Uh, had a kick-ass movie that I have not watched yet, but I've heard lots of good things about it. Wonder Woman. What would she be the goddess of? Oh, Wonder Woman is the goddess of justice, definitely. And, and it is an awesome film. Yeah, I need to watch that. It hasn't come out here yet, I don't think. Heard uh, good things. Does she have the lasso in the movie? She the, does. Is, oh, sweet. Yeah, the lasso of truth. Yeah. Okay, number three is a uh, character that I'm not familiar with. Maybe I'm. Maybe Rob's not familiar with either, but I think millions and millions of people are familiar with. Uh, Doctor Who would be the god of what? Oh, Doctor Who would be the god of adventure ah. i think definitely he would be the person that you would pray to to say please make my life more interesting um or i'm in an unintended adventure and it's all going horribly wrong please help me <laughs> yeah me and rob are, aren't aren't very familiar with it but a lot of our especially british guests are you know have are big doctor who fans but whovians yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well i mean it's it's more than 50 years old now the program Wow. So it is. You should you should check it out. Definitely. I've never met a Whovian who was like, you should not watch Doctor Who. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, ne- I've never met a, you know, a, a sort of, well, it's all right, Whovian. <laughs> you're either a Whovian or you're just a Wrong. horrible person. Really. <laughs> yeah. We're horrible people here on the Green Cottage <laughs> podcast. People knew that, though. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's go to the Game of Thrones realm. Uh, everyone's favorite queen, Cersei Lannister, would be the goddess of what? Mayhem. Yes. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think and she... Really, really bad romantic choices. <laughs> <laughs> I think she may drown in a lake of blood before the, uh, before the season. She better. fucking needs to, doesn't she? <laughs> okay, let's go into the uh, real realm. Uh Ooh. Real, real realm is that reality? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of your favorite authors, uh, Mary Shelley. What would she be the goddess of? Ooh, 
Mary Shelley would be the goddess of the patron goddess of women, I think, because, you know, one of the first, well, not one of the first, but, you know, one of the most well-known feminists I would class her as didn't realize, you know, didn't believe that she couldn't do what all the men around her were doing. So, yeah, she's, you know, she's a real she's a real role model. And she was, what, 19 when she wrote Frankenstein? I mean, wow. come on. It's, you know, she was married to someone else. She ran off had an affair and, you know, she just lived her life and did not give a shit. Um, and Yolo. yeah, she's yeah. <laughs> original YOLO. <laughs> you can just Very imagine chill. her, you know, in a gloomy castle penning Frankenstein. YOLO, darling. YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then we have two more. Uh, you may be familiar with this person. Uh, Anna Stevens, what would you be the goddess of if you were oh. a goddess? Or maybe you are a goddess and we just don't know. <laughs> There's no maybe about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would be the goddess of war and redemption. So the two sides oh. of the same coin. Oh. Can she pick two, Phil? Is that within the rules of fake? Yeah. As, okay. as, a, as a goddess, I think gotcha. I can pretty much do whatever I like. Yeah, okay. it's fake ass, so <laughs> anything goes in the fake ass world. Okay. Okay, and then the last last one. Last one, people you may not be too familiar with, uh, but you've been talking to them for the past hour. The Grim Tidings podcast, <laughs> we would be gods of what? You would be gods of tomfoolery. Ah. <laughs> That's a I Facebook gonna, update. I was going to say shit. <laughs> <laughs> but tomfoolery i like yeah tomfoolery is great or nonsensical banter yes <laughs> be good yeah both all of them both. ah ah <clears throat> there we go we're multifaceted okay that's the end of our little game my little game fake uh, ass grim pantheon you have now made a uh, new mythology that people can uh can join yeah i like it i like it i think it um i think it's going to stand the test of time um well, i balanced. expect to have thousands of worshippers within yes. you know days of people listening to this podcast um yeah it's gonna be great wonderful so godblind <laughs> is available now on amazon from, from talos press in the u.s harper voyager uk in the uk go buy it now you can give, find the uh, link to amazon in the show notes for the podcast uh, be sure to check it out anna-stevens.com is the website to follow up with all things godblind anna stevens it's been a pleasure to speak with you today and i'm sure it's not the last time that we'll have you on the show and uh best luck to you uh with all of your writerly endeavors with dark soul book two and then uh getting cracking on book three and all the new stuff and uh yeah thanks so much for joining us and good luck with everything thank you so much it's been uh it's been a blast and i am definitely looking forward to us chatting again in the future book two we'll bring you back on and yes chat. definitely let's do it for sure yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. Available now on Patreon. For just $3 a month, you can get behind-the-scenes info, submit listener questions, find out who's coming on the show, and more. Just log on to patreon.com slash thegrimtidingspodcast. You can drop by our website at thegrimtidingspodcast.com or drop by our Facebook group, Grim Dark Fiction Readers and Writers, for daily updates on all things Grimdark. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time.